Today on Not Sam Wrestling, we break down an amazingly newsworthy weekend, another deep dive into Roman Reigns sneakers, plus the best preview to SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver 36. How can I call it the best? Because I named the podcasts. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. How are we all doing? Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to 356 SummerSlam week. And what a way to begin the week. You can feel it. SummerSlam is the one for us. SummerSlam is the one for the fans. WrestleMania, well, they're all the ones for the fans, I guess. But this is, uh, I mean, this one is... Especially, I feel like this will be certainly the biggest show that's been in front of fans since before the pandemic. You would say WrestleMania was, but I think knowing that it was that sort of just, I know it was two days, but one shot, meaning one event, one two-day event in front of fans, and then we're going back to the Thunderdome, knowing that the whole stadium wasn't going to be full. It was what they, you know, 25,000 or whatever it was. Um, this is it. A full stadium, pay-per-view show, uh, and I can't wait to see it. And, and it's SummerSlam, for God's sake. I mean, WrestleMania is usually the one that they grab the mainstream, uh, they grab the lapsed fan, or at least attempt to. SummerSlam traditionally has been for the wrestling fan, and we'll, we, I, we're scheduled to have an ultimate SummerSlam show going up on Peacock SummerSlam weekend as well, which was a really fun show to do because anybody that's a hardcore fan loves SummerSlam. There's just so many good SummerSlams to go through. For me, the king of SummerSlam is Bret Hart, and I don't think that anybody would deny that. 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, all classics. 95, he had Isaac Yankum. That wasn't exactly a classic, but back to classics in 97 with The Undertaker. Six classics, and then I think two or three other matches. I think maybe two other matches in SummerSlam history. There have been a lot of people that are Mr. SummerSlam, though. Brock Lesnar is a hell of a SummerSlam performer, going back to 2002, where he won his first uh, WWE championship by beating The Rock. Uh, the Undertaker is a tremendous SummerSlam performer. And not only is The Undertaker a tremendous SummerSlam performer, but I love The Undertaker is my number two for SummerSlam, right behind Bret Hart. And a lot of people, I think Brock Lesnar fits. Randy Orton certainly fits. He also won his first championship at SummerSlam. Um... John Cena is a tremendous SummerSlam performer. Seth Rollins is one of the great SummerSlam performers. Going back to uh, being involved in the first Universal Championship match, one-on-one -on -one with Finn Balor. I think it was the year before that is where he wore all white. United States title, WWE title. There's a lot to it. Undertaker gets my number two spot in terms of SummerSlam performers because if you look at The Undertaker's career. The entire story of it can be summed up simply by looking at a list of his SummerSlam opponents. It really goes down because I made a list. Where is it? I didn't even know I was going to talk about this. What are you saying, Sam? You just have a list of The Undertaker's opponents in your notebook that you didn't even... Yeah, there's a page in my notebook where there's a list of The Undertaker's SummerSlam opponents from 92 to 2015. Yeah, there's that page in my notebook. So what? Okay. Do I have to answer every question that you have, or can you just accept 
that I'm sitting here in front of a notebook with a ton of information in it. Nobody knows what's in there. And one of the pages happens to have a list of all the Undertaker's SummerSlam opponents. Big deal. If you look at it, so the Undertaker, he didn't have, he didn't show up until Survivor Series 90, 1990. He wasn't at SummerSlam 91. Survivor Series 91 is when he won his first WWE championship against Hulk Hogan. He's a bad guy the whole time. You know, the monstrous Undertaker. He lost it five days later at this Tuesday in Texas, I think, right? Summer, uh, Thanksgiving Eve, I think, was Summer, uh, Survivor Series 91. That would have been a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Two, five to six days later at this Tuesday in Texas, uh, he lost the title to Hogan. It was then put up for grabs in the Royal Rumble 92 match. But that's all to talk about the way that The Undertaker got to his first SummerSlam is by August of 92, he shows up to WWE in November of 1990. And I think people look at that initial Undertaker run as being longer than it actually was. Like that that evil Undertaker putting bad guy uh, or putting good guys in body bags, sticking the Ultimate Warrior into an airtight casket. They had to turn the Undertaker for his second WrestleMania. You know, Jake the Snake Roberts was all set to have a rivalry with the Ultimate Warrior. The Ultimate Warrior splits. He gets thrown out of the WWE after SummerSlam 91. The switch gets made. The Undertaker goes babyface so that he and Randy Savage can start to build towards this uh, uh, Jake the Snake Roberts rivalry. WrestleMania 8 comes. That's The Undertaker's first pay-per-view as a full-on good guy. Beats Jake the Snake via DQ uh, countout, I think it was, if I remember right. Undertaker is now 2-0 and at WrestleMania, though we don't realize that a streak is building. And as luck would have it, the Ultimate Warrior makes his return to the WWE, but Jake Roberts is out of WWE after WrestleMania 8, so we don't get that Roberts-Warrior match. But all that to say, by WrestleMania 8, April of 92, the Undertaker is already a fan favorite. He's already a hero. And he goes to SummerSlam that year to have his first SummerSlam match against Kamala. But if you go through, right, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, that's the entire legacy of The Undertaker as the good guy just slaying monsters. That era of, the, uh, of, of just building monsters for The Undertaker to slay was all of that. Kamala, Giant Gonzalez, The Undertaker, 94, Undertaker versus Undertaker, Ted DiBiase at ringside. 95, Kama, Mus Kama not Kama Mustafa. Well, I don't think he was Kama Mustafa. I think it was just the Supreme Fighting Machine, Kama. And then 96 was Mankind, the Boiler Room Brawl. That's where Paul Bearer leaves the Undertaker's side. That's also where, I mean, think about it. Kama didn't last. He would have, the Godfather would eventually take off, but Kama didn't last. Undertaker Part 2 didn't last. Giant Gonzalez didn't last. And Kamala, as that sort of, in the 90s anyway, I know he had a run in the 80s, and he would stick around for a little bit and kind of turn into a good guy. He'd be around for another year or so. But realistically speaking, as sort of a monster heel, after his rivalry with The Undertaker, it was over for him. So it really was just introducing these monsters for The Undertaker to beat, and he generally did it at SummerSlam. 97, the year after Mankind, is where The Undertaker gets into the main event. Undertaker against Bretton, 97. Undertaker against Austin, 98. Even in 99, when it was Undertaker and Big Show as a tag team, 
They actually won the tag team titles, and it was still main event level Undertaker. Then you have good hand Undertaker. You have dependable Undertaker. So it goes from beating monsters to main event Undertaker to dependable Undertaker, where you go on a run, uh, a run against uh, uh, like uh, Kane in 2000. This is getting into the 2000s. Kane, uh, Test, A-Train, and then the last rung of his wrestle of his SummerSlam opponents is when the Undertaker is at that next level where it's legacy Undertaker, legendary Undertaker, main event unbeatable Undertaker. And that's when he's got uh JBL, Randy Orton, Edge and Hell in a Cell, and then several years later, finally back for Brock Lesnar. But you're looking at four distinct moments in the Undertaker's career, all illustrated in a timeline by his SummerSlam opponents. Part one beating monsters. Part two, main eventer. Part three, dependable big evil. And part four, legacy legend main eventer. It's pretty remarkable. That's why I put Undertaker as my number two for SummerSlam. Um, we're going to run down the whole SummerSlam card as well as the whole NXT TakeOver 36 card uh, in a couple of minutes here today. And I did say in the intro, and you can look at the title of this podcast, it is... The best SummerSlam preview podcast in the world because I get to write all the titles of my podcasts. So this weekend was a big weekend for wrestling fans in general, and it kind of started on Friday. Um, first of all, how can you be a wrestling fan and not be applauding the fact that it's 2021 and Christian is a world champion again? Christian being the Impact slash TNA world champion in 2021. Just looking at that photo, it's just such a cool thing. I don't know any real wrestling fan that on some level doesn't love Christian. Like, there's just, like even somebody that doesn't like study work rate, even, even, even somebody that hasn't like really unpacked how good Christian is, there's just something about it where even the I'm going to break up hardcores, even the casual hardcore, not the hardcore hardcore, the casual hardcore. Everybody knows that Christian is the man. That's why when Christian returned at the Rumble uh, last year, I think, people were like, this is so cool. Even like, I got to do a couple pre-shows with Christian and just being around him, it was just like, it's just cool. It's like, that's Christian, dude. Edge and Christian. And it's hard to get all the credit that you deserve when you're constantly paired with Edge, who even being listed as one of the greatest of all time, I still feel like Edge is underrated, but it really leaves Christian underrated, who is also one of the best ever. And the fact that he's shown up in 2021, especially after the historic run that he had, I mean, he changed a lot for TNA. He changed his career and the course of TNA way back when when he showed up after the Captain Charisma run as TNA champion uh, and won the TNA title over there. So, I mean, that's just awesome. Just as a wrestling fan, you have to you have to think that that is so cool. And I saw the way, like, the internet reacted and everything, and it was wholly appropriate. Like, you know, it made total sense if you look at the storylines for Christian to win that match, but... Just the fact that who would have thought even weeks ago, but I mean, going into this year, last year, going five years, I mean, who would have thought 
that Christian would be on TV winning a world title. So shout outs to Christian. That was amazing. And as wrestling fans, I know I just had to take a moment because any anyone that's a wrestling fan is like, this is fucking awesome. Um, also, you know what else was awesome to me? Some people are a little critical of this, not me. Triple A runs a show. I guess everything's dealing with Kenny Omega too. Christian beats Kenny Omega. Triple A's running a show. Andrade, Kenny Omega is the main event. And who shows up but Ric Flair? Ric Flair is now in the ring throwing Nature Boy chops. Putting <laughs> 2021. Anybody that watched Nitro and you're sitting here going like, who knows what's going to happen next week? No, no, no. What if I told you WCW is out of business 20 years ago? 20 years ago, WCW was already out of business. 20 years ago. So 22 years ago, we're sitting there watching Nitro. We're sitting there watching the Wolfpack. Somos, unos, vatos, locos, forever. What if I told you that 22 years later, Ric Flair would be on AAA putting the figure four leg lock on K-Dog? It's just awesome. It's just awesome. And look, I'm not the, here to make decisions for anybody. I don't have to, if, if I was running a promotion, I would have to make decisions for people. If I were running a promotion, would I put Ric Flair in a match? I don't know. But I don't have to, I, here's the beauty of just being a fan. None of us have to worry about that. The fact of the matter is, you could see, I've had conversations with Ric Flair before. I'm lucky enough to say that. But you don't have to have had a conversation with him to know where his heart's at. You can see it in his eye. This is a guy, this is Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler, man. This is a guy who was on his deathbed. And when he got off his deathbed, he got himself better. He got himself healthy. And man, he didn't want to slow down. He didn't want to stay home. He didn't even want to live. Like He's got a daughter who's one of the best in the world today. Not good enough. He's happy in the ring. And that is where he wants to be. And God damn it if I don't want to see him in there. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind that Ric Flair is going to wrestle a match somewhere. And you know what? I'll watch. Is he going to Is he gonna look the way he used to in his tights? Is he going to move the way he used to? I don't know. Probably not. I would say definitely not. But uh, Ric Flair has earned the right in professional wrestling to do whatever Ric Flair wants to do. So if there's a place that will allow him to do whatever it is that he wants to do, it's going to make me smile. When I saw Ric Flair throwing chops and putting people in the figure four, it made me smile because I know how happy it made him. And anybody that has given me over the years as much entertainment as Ric Flair has deserves to be happy. We talked about the 92 Royal Rumble a minute ago with a tear in my eye. And I've talked about it on the promo podcast that we did, talking about the greatest promos of all time. Ric Flair didn't pull any punches. Ric Flair didn't say, this is the greatest moment of my career. This is the greatest moment of my professional life. He said, this is the greatest moment of my life. Weddings, marriages, kids, all the great things in life that you're supposed to give credit to. Ric Flair threw him out the window and said, winning the WWE championship is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, full stop. Loved it, okay? The, I mean, what is a better story 
What is better poetry than watching Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 24? Not to mention everything pre-92. Not to mention every Starcade. You've heard me. Look, I'll tell you this. All the Starcades in the 90s sucked. All of them. And I talked about this on the WWE Network. All the Starcades in the 90s sucked except for one. And they didn't suck on paper. They just sucked in execution. Except for one. Now, all the Starcades in the 80s were great. Flair, Flair, Flair. And you know what was the one Starcade main event? Every Starcade, a total screw up main event wise in the 90s. Except for one. 1993. Why? Because Ric Flair gave us one of the most beautiful stories ever in a match against the man they call Vader. Oh, makes me want to cry just thinking about it. So I got real happy for both Christian and Ric Flair this weekend. And I also got happy, and I know that not all of you are, are, are members of this community, but I hope that as wrestling fans, you can uh, at least appreciate this. I was so happy with the WWE wrestling, full-on wrestling, maybe not even just a, the, the wrestling action figure community made me so happy this weekend. Man, everybody came together. Everybody came together. For those that don't know, uh, we do have a Patreon associated with this podcast, patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. You can join and become a Not Sam shill uh, for less than a dollar a week. Four bucks a month is the uh, opening tier, and you'll get all the podcasts ad-free um, early, and you'll get our bonus podcast that we do every Thursday or Friday. Uh, and then as the tiers go up, you get access to all the videos. You can watch uh, me record the podcast live. I stream it out for people on Patreon. Uh, and you can also watch the video later on. All the videos on our Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel go there first. Uh, and we even do Zooms with the higher tiered Not Sam shills. They get, we, we get together every single week on Zoom and talk wrestling. And I say things very candidly in there. But I say all that to say I taped this week's bonus podcast on Friday. And I did it live as this uh, Mattel promotion was happening. So people got to hear my natural reaction to it. And I thought that was a lot of fun. Mattel, and, 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 and you know all this if you faithfully listen to all the material that I put out here on the podcast. Uh, because uh, couple, I don't think it was last week. I think it was the week before last. I don't know. Maybe it was last week. I put out a bonus podcast with Steve from Mattel. Steve Ozer from Mattel uh, breaking down their new generation arena. WWE New Generation Arena Mattel put out. So they put out this product, right? And this is, again, this is not a paid spot. Mattel is not an advertisement. Mattel has given me no money for this podcast, even though they really should. Um, so I'm just a, I've been a figure collector forever. And this weekend, oh my God, I'm redoing the whole collection now because I'm so excited about how this weekend went. So Mattel, it's regular in the action figure community to do crowdfunding. Uh, I, it's weird to a lot of people that aren't in the figure community because they're like, why would a multi-million dollar company need to crowdfund? And it's because they decide like, look, there are these collectors that want these really oddball products that are simply not going to move in retail, that we cannot convince our corporate overlords to spend the money 
that it takes to produce this item that only a limited number of people are going to get because it's celebrating just a weird era in wrestling that a handful of collectors want to have, but those handful of collectors really want to have it. So the overlords say, prove it. And the people making these figures, they go, okay, we will. And they put it up on a pre-order. And what Mattel did was they created their, the new generation arena, the ultimate new generation arena. They got a very popular line um, called the ultimate edition figures. And what they've decided that for their first effort at, at crowdfunding, they wanted to celebrate the new generation era of WWE late 92 until early 96, I would say maybe mid 96, you know, by the, well, I mean, you could argue, look, we weren't at the Attitude Era yet by Survivor Series 96. But it was a transitional period. I think when you're breaking down WWE's generations, there are these sometimes months, sometimes years of transitional periods. You know, I think that, like, if you look at Survivor Series 96, Sean is still new generation Sean babyface, but he's getting booed in New York. Stone Cold Steve Austin is morphing into the Texas Rattlesnake. But the WWE gets Dwayne Johnson and they bring him in to be Rocky Maivia because they think that will work with the audience. Rocky Maivia is as new generation as it gets. Stone Cold Steve Austin, clear attitude era. So that's November of 96. That is a clear transitional period. That's why I say mid 96 or so. And to me, the new generation starts when Hogan leaves, you know? So that's that's the end of mid to late 92. Um, but there's a really weird transitional time period. And Mattel decided that there's enough of us weirdos in our 30s and above, probably, who want to celebrate this period. And I was one of them. So they made this set, which is a deluxe ring for action figures, where it's got like real fabric canvas, real fabric aprons, real fabric turnbuckles, ropes, the whole deal, corner posts, everything, the wooden boards under the canvas, like sick. It comes with uh, the uh, a neon entryway, which is to scale, so it's gigantic. It's gotta be like 14 inches tall, but it's huge and it looks exactly like the old school neon entranceway that lights up that they used at WrestleMania 8. And this one does, it lights up and everything. It's got different light patterns on the back of it. And then it also comes with, of course, an Ultimate Edition diesel figure because the new generation was running on diesel power. Now, they said also, that's and, and it only gets made if it hits 5,000 backers, right? If it hits 7,000 backers, then they'll also produce and throw in an Ultimate Edition doink figure. And this doink is uh, like a Matt Bourne era doink, like the real doink, 93 era doink. It's got a fabric overcoat with the with, with with all the detail on it. He comes with a mallet. He comes with three different heads, the whole thing, different facial expressions. Uh, and then if they go crazy, if it gets 8,000 backers, they're going to also include WrestleMania and in-your-house ring skirts to go with your set. And I'm sitting there going like, this is a dream come true. I back it on day one. Not that many people backed it with me. That's why I brought Steve on the podcast, honestly. Because at the time, not that many people had backed it. And I was really worried the thing wasn't going to get made. Again, it wasn't a paid thing. So Mattel goes, all right, look, we read the writing on the wall. What if we sweeten the pot? And they said, now, if it hits, if you order it within the next seven days, 
They pop this up mid-campaign. If you order this within the next seven days, if it hits 5,000, we will also give to you an exclusive Macho Man Randy Savage Ultimate Edition figure, fully attired in his WrestleMania 10 outfit, black and silver, comes with the fabric uh, coat, comes with sunglasses, removable, comes with two cowboy hats. One is a regular cowboy hat. The other cowboy hat has a commentary headset built into it. So it looks like he's wearing the headset under the cowboy hat. First time that's ever been done, by the way, believe it or not. First time they've ever made a figure that is a commentary Randy Savage. And I'm going, oh my God. And they go, and by the way, it'll also, we'll also have a commentary set with it. So it'll have a table with a blue fabric tablecloth over it. It'll have two monitors. It'll have an extra headset so Randy Savage can have a commentary partner, i.e. Vince McMahon, and two new generation microphones and two steel chairs to sit at the commentary table. And I'm like, oh my God. So I need this thing, right? So I'm signed up for it. I got the Macho Man figure coming, the whole thing. On Thursday, on Thursday, Thursday night, it's like they, we keep pushing and pushing. I'm posting about it. Mattel's posting about it. Ryder and Hawkins are posting about it. Everybody's trying to get this thing going. Friday, the Macho Man promotion ends at midnight. 24 hours before that, I think, is when it finally hit 50%, 2,500. The thing had been up for like two weeks, three weeks maybe. 2,500 it finally hits. But I'm like, 2,500, oh boy. And I start looking at it and I was like, but it went from like 1,800 to 2,500 real quick. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, they got to get a move on with this thing. Then I wake up, and it's approaching 3,000 on Friday morning. And I'm like, okay, let's go. And I start tweeting like crazy, and I'm texting my friends about it. When I tell you, for an action figure collector, Friday was a fun day, oh, my God. Just seeing all the tweets flooding in, all the activity going for this. I was texting people. And the really fun thing about this is, is that once interest started, once this thing started rolling, it snowballed. It picked up on itself. And I found like all these people that weren't even serious wrestling figure collectors, like not the huge wrestling geeks like me that have like thousands of figures in their house, but just people who like enjoy the memorabilia aspect of it or have like, oh, I just saw this really cool figure at Target or whatever just wrestling fans in general that got how cool this thing was. I'm literally on the, I'm texting somebody. I won't mention who it was, but I'm like, he's like, I don't know, bro. I really want this, but where am I going to display this giant figure wrestling ring? It's like 21 inches by 21 inches. I'm like, bro, don't even take the ring out of the box. Leave it in the box. Sell the ring if you want to. You get more than 250 for it on the aftermarket once it comes out. Just take the entryway. Take the entryway that lights up and put it on your desk as a tchotchke. You know how cool that's going to look? The next text I got, all right, I ordered one. I was like, yes. I was seeing all these people. Like, everybody just came together and was like, this is going to be awesome. And in that one period of time, in 24 hours, it hit 5,000. I go, I can't believe it. And I'm texting the guys from Mattel. I'm tweeting back and forth with Zack Ryder. You know, we're all, just, all of us fans are like losing our minds because we can't believe not only that this worked, but the whole community came together. And we're like, I wonder if Doink's going to hit. By 10 p.m., Doink was official. By 10 p.m. that day, we went from 5,000 to 7,000. And the Doink figure came in. And I'm like, this is becoming an embarrassment of riches. And then just before midnight on Friday, 
within that 24-hour time frame, it hit 8,000. And the whole package became unlocked. And all of us that got in there realized we were getting the entire package. Macho Man is gone, but this thing is still available. So if, if I'm getting you excited about it, I would still order it, man, as a wrestling fan. I mean, even if you don't want everything involved, I, I ordered multiples. And I, I'll tell you straight up, I'm going to take this thing apart and sell it piece by piece. I'm going to sell the ring. I'm going to sell the entry, entryway. I'm going to sell the figures individually. And I mean, you're going to make $1,000, I think. I don't know for sure, obviously. But I plan on it. I plan on on taking one of these things apart and selling it piece by piece to pay for all the other ones. That's my plan. But even if you're not planning on selling it, just to have it as something cool, which is my original plan, I can't wait for it. It's going to take like a year to produce now, but you know there'll be updates. It's actually going to get produced. So, And to me, what's cool about this, and I, I'll only geek out about toys a little bit longer, I promise, then we'll get back to regular wrestling. What's cool about this, though, is um, that now Mattel is going to do way more of this fundraising stuff or crowdfunding stuff, which means they're going to put out way more crazy stuff that would never be on a Target shelf. Like, at some point, I'll bet we get the SmackDown fist stage. We're going to get a full-size, action figure size SmackDown fist stage. How unbelievable is that? To me... When Jax did the classic Superstar series, that was the first time in a WWE action figure line that they made figures of legends. Before that, if somebody got an action figure that wasn't signed to WWE, it was just because it was produced and between the time of production and the time it hit store shelves, um, he the, the, the athlete was not signed anymore. Other than that, current talent was the only people that were ever on store shelves. Jax comes out and creates classic superstars where for the first time since the since you know his return in 96, there's a new Ultimate Warrior. There's a new Bret Hart since he the first time since 97 when he left. Like there's and it just opens the floodgates to every legend possible. Mattel picked up on that, but the classic superstars series probably the most important thing that's ever happened to wrestling action figures. But right there with it, number two or number one B, maybe tied with that, is this new generation arena becoming successful. Because number one, it's going to be the coolest thing ever. And number two, it's just going to change the way these collectibles get made. So if you're into cool shit, get ready, because there's going to be more. Speaking of cool shit, this to me is super cool. A while ago on the podcast... I did a deep dive into uh, Roman Reigns sneakers. My theory on Roman Reigns sneakers and how I thought that Roman Reigns several months ago was being very deliberate about the sneakers he was wearing. He was showing up on SmackDown wearing Jordans. This isn't the first time it's been done. You know, Enzo used to do it. Shane McMahon did it. But Roman Reigns was wearing very iconic Jordans. He would wear the Jordan 1 Royals. He would wear the Black Cement Jordan 3s. He would wear Jordans that Michael Jordan had done iconic things in. And to me, this version of Roman Reigns, this Roman Reigns character is something we've needed in wrestling for a long time. To me, Roman Reigns is the Michael Jordan of WWE. My Roman Reigns is that guy who knows that he's the best, is not shy about telling everybody he's the best, 
and refuses to lower himself to the level of the other people in the locker room. I'm talking about Roman Reigns, the character, of course. He expects the rest of the locker room to play on his level or get left behind, and that's it. And this is going in part of what's going into the John Cena uh, uh, story. But Roman Reigns took it up a notch this week on SmackDown, and for you guys that aren't sneaker geeks, um, it was probably lost on you. And maybe some people of you that are sneaker geeks are not looking this deep into it, but I am looking this deep into it. I was literally texting people at WWE to tell them, I know what you're doing, and it's awesome. Roman Reigns showed up on SmackDown wearing Travis Scott fragment Jordan 1s. These sneakers came out about a week and a half ago. I will tell you right now, as a sneaker collector, I have the original Travis Scott ones. I have the Travis Scott fours. I have the green Travis Scott sixes. I was literally selling older sneakers to raise capital to potentially purchase the Travis Scott Jordan 1 fragment collaboration sneakers when they were released. A handful of them got released on Travis Scott's website. And that was it. They never showed up on the Nike app. They never showed up on the sneakers app. They never showed up in bigger sneaker stores. A couple of very, a handful of sneaker boutiques got a few pairs. And that was it. The aftermarket pre-release price of these sneakers, which is astronomical, never went down. Because there was never any significant production of it. There was never a chance for somebody like me to even get a pair. And these sneakers have become, for those that don't know, I mean, Jordan 1, obviously the iconic silhouette in sneakers. Travis Scott is probably the most culturally relevant musician of the modern era and full-on artist. The collaboration that he has done with the Jordan brand has been the most successful of any artist. I mean, it, 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 Kanye West and his collaboration with Adidas for Yeezys, that's a whole company. That's not what this is. Travis Scott is collaborating with Jordan. Adidas allowed Kanye to start his own company. And Kanye's full-on company is the only thing that compares even with the collaboration that Travis Scott has going on with Jordan 1. That's with Jordan. That's how big the collaboration is. Add to that this word I just threw in there, fragment. Fragment is a, a a clothing design, a clothing company, a design, a design company, really, that has in the past released a, a handful of sneakers in collaboration with Nike. But the original Jordan One Fragment collaboration, which is honestly just a, a a unique color change of the original Jordan One with a small fra logo of the Fragment company stamped on the back of the sneaker, is the premier sneaker in in Jordan that that's the that's the Ferrari of Jordan ones that's that's the sneaker so what Jordan one did was they took their Jordan one silhouette they took Travis Scott and they took fragment and they combined it into one thing those are the sneakers that Roman reigns wore on Smackdown on Friday night those sneakers got the blogs talking those sneakers got a lot of places talking that do not talk about wrestling 
and I found it to be very, very significant. Sneaker culture is a big deal, and there's two ways to do it. Either way is cool with me. The way the Young Bucks do it is that they allow, they, they, when I, what my perception of it is that, first of all, they're heels, right? And they take the more obnoxious, showy, annoying end of sneaker collecting and highlight that part of it, right? Like the, the, the do it, wrestling in Dior's, which are probably fake, but wrestling in Dior's and, and coming out and having like, uh, uh, off-white Jordans that match their off-white tights, like they're, like they're, like they're 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 doing it for heat, right? They're not they're not necessarily taking the sneakers that are the most relevant things in the world at this moment. They're just taking super overhyped sneakers and using it to create this sort of Hollywood we're full of ourselves heel heat thing, which is fine. But what Roman is doing is something completely different. To me, the people that you see walking around in the sneakers that Roman wears, especially those Travis Scott Jordan 1 fragments, are NBA players, are the most relevant musicians of, of the modern day. These are the sneakers that you'll see. The NBA does something, has turned into something interesting. Basically, when basketball players, especially the famous ones, walk in to the arena to start their work day, they don't walk in in their uniform. Their uniform is hanging in the locker room. They walk in in their street clothes and press is there to take photos of them. And every game, those photos get out. And that walk has become a fashion show. Every big NBA player shows off the coolest, most relevant stuff that they've got when they're walking in. And it adds to this, 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 this mystification of who they are. It adds, it makes them look like and feel like superstars, not Pro wrestling superstars, not superstars. This person is a superstar. This person lives a life that I, as a fan, can only dream of, you know? This is the Kardashian reality show world. This is the superstar world. This is not the world that we live in. This is, this is, this is iconic, is almost a word that you can use. The image that Roman is crafting, and I know... I don't even know what I'm supposed to say. Jordan Brand gifted Roman those sneakers. Roman didn't go to like some secondhand place and like just buy the most expensive sneakers because SmackDown's got the budget for it. Jordan Brand gifted Roman those Travis Scott fragment ones. And that type of stuff is not happening in pro wrestling. Roman walking around in Travis Scott fragment Jordan ones that were gifted to him by Jordan brand puts Roman on that elite level athlete platform. It puts him in the conversation with culturally relevant pop culture, relevant elite athletes. It makes it so 
Roman becomes the LeBron of the WWE. That even if you don't watch basketball, you know exactly who LeBron James is. He's a celebrity beyond the NBA. The steps that are being taken in the presentation of Roman Reigns puts Roman Reigns in that conversation. So it's not that wrestler Roman Reigns, that WWE guy Roman Reigns. It's no, no, no. This is elite level athlete Roman Reigns. This is a guy that commands attention from that younger, hipper audience. I hope that all of, all of this is being paid attention to. Because what's going on with Roman Reigns right now is how you build a superstar in any business in 2021. S the steps that are being taken now, and I don't know if everybody in the wrestling world is even aware of it, are putting Roman Reigns on a different platform than a WWE superstar. And that doesn't always happen for WWE superstars until after they leave. You know, The Rock had to go and make movies for Hollywood to really understand the value of The Rock. John Cena had to go and make movies for Hollywood to really understand the value of a John Cena. Roman Reigns is taking steps to allow people to appreciate the value of the size of the superstar that he is without leaving WWE. He's staying in WWE and still being able to build that Hollywood-level elitism that's necessary to being a true superstar that goes beyond a singular brand. And I think that that's something that the WWE needs because what it does is it brings the WWE up with him. It lets the world know this is the level of superstar that the WWE is producing. That it's not like this separate world over here. Oh, that's that wrestling thing, right? That's that WWE thing, right? No, that like the same way the NBA creates stars and the National Football League creates stars that go beyond. The National Football League creates stars that could end up on GMA. The NBA creates stars that are producing television shows and starring in movies while they're still playing basketball. The NBA creates stars that are worthy of a 10-part documentary series, not targeted towards basketball fans, but targeted towards the world. Football does the same thing. Roman Reigns, on the path that he's on today, to me, is the guy that proves that the WWE can do the same thing. And there's nobody in the industry that's doing that. And as much as we all appreciate what is going on on the surface with Roman Reigns, the stuff that's going on just under the surface is industry changing. And I love to see it. Let's get into SummerSlam. Okay, first of all, let's start with it. So SummerSlam is going down this Saturday, uh, which is different for SummerSlam because uh, obviously it's usually on a Sunday, but it's going to be Saturday SummerSlam, Sunday TakeOver. Now, we were talking about Roman Reigns. Uh, I thought the Roman Reigns-John Cena back and forth was the definitely the best segment on SmackDown. I thought it was excellent. Uh, I loved that it was getting real. Uh, I thought the John Cena 
was the MVP of that segment. I'd love Roman Reigns to come out uh, stronger next week. Roman was good. Roman, don't get me wrong. Roman was good. The Nikki Bella crack was great. The Nikki Bella crack by Roman is what brought us into this different space, right? But I mean, we're sitting there watching this promo. There's a crack about Nikki Bella, which to me is fair because of the reality show. You did Total Bellas. You exposed it to the audience. You proposed to Nikki Bella at WrestleMania. If in character, if in can, it's part, it's canon. So if we want to go there, we can go there. But then Cena talking about Dean Ambrose and Roman chasing him out of there. Cena making clear references to CM Punk, who, by the way, we all know the rumors about CM Punk. Let me tell you right now, okay? If Roman Reigns beat John Cena at SummerSlam and cult of personality played and CM Punk swerved everybody and showed up at SummerSlam at the end of the night, it would literally be the greatest thing that's ever happened in professional wrestling. I just want to say that. Part of me is like, like if we, like, like if we really want to spice it up, what if there is an ink to paper? Could you imagine a world where after being referenced on SmackDown, CM Punk screws the competition and really does? Probably not, but a boy can dream. Oh my God. It would literally be the greatest thing that's ever happened. Um, I thought that uh, John talking about Roman being protected was great stuff. Great stuff. Talking about his teeth, his bar of soap teeth. I thought that was awesome. But, you know, I, I do think that Roman can go more personal with John, and I'd love for him to get there next week. I think that Roman can can point out, you know, can can bring us back to a time. And, and you got to be delicate with this, right? Because the idea is to boo Roman and cheer for John Cena. And I think that John Cena's direction was genius because John Cena bringing up wanting to be 17-time champion, because it's really interesting. Nobody brings that up on television. Fans bring it up, but nobody brings it up because I think that for whatever reason, they don't want that to be at the forefront of what people are thinking about. And obviously there's a reason for that. And maybe it's so that it really makes an impact when it finally is brought up. Because John Cena actually bringing it up for the first time, saying he wants, he'll get to be the 17-time champion. And all he has to do is pin Roman. Makes me as a fan go, I mean, that is something WWE would do. And you go, well, even, even though Cena's not booked after SummerSlam, he's is booked to be at the September 10th SmackDown. He's booked to be at the Garden. Could John Cena win at SummerSlam and then drop the title real quick at the Garden just because WWE wants John Cena to be the 17-time champion? And this is how smart John Cena is. Here's why John Cena brought that up. John Cena knows, and this is new kayfabe, by the way. This is what new kayfabe is all about. John Cena, this is why he was bringing up CM Punk. He, it's why he brought up Ambrose. Like, John Cena gets the internet. Have you seen his Instagram? He gets the internet. Cena knows that now is the time to bring up 17-time champion for the same reason why the whole internet was convinced that the only reason Brock Lesnar held the title for as long as he did was to beat CM Punk's record because they think WWE is obsessed with records. And maybe they are. I don't know. But I 100% believe 
that the reason John Cena brought that up, and one of the reasons he brought that up, was because he knows that a seed of doubt will be planted. Because Ric Flair is not in WWE anymore. And WWE doesn't want Ric Flair to be the 16-time champion anymore. And so if Ric Flair's not in WWE anymore, and he's got the record for most championship wins, well, we can just give this to John Cena and have him lose it at SmackDown. He knows that there are people that will think on that level, that fans that will go, well, this is what WWE wants. And so it will make it so that a lot of people going into this match thinking, well, clearly John Cena is going to lose. That's why he came back. will go, oh, but he could win so that WWE doesn't let Ric Flair leave with their record, especially after Ric Flair showed up on AAA on uh, uh, Saturday. Which, by the way, is true. That could happen. That's not... I would say that Roman beating John Cena, I would still put my money on Roman winning. But, I mean, I probably wouldn't go farther than, like, 60-40. I'd love to give Roman better odds than 60 but I don't know that I can give John Cena worse odds than 40. I'd love to even go to 62-38, but I feel like John Cena's chances are better than 38. Maybe 61-39. I don't even want to do 39. 60-40 is where I'll leave the odds of, of Roman Reigns leaving with the championship. And a lot of that is because of the promo, quite frankly. A lot of that is because of what John Cena described. He can get his ass kicked, and he's right. All he has to do is pin Roman Reigns. And if he can pin Roman Reigns, and they can put the title right back on Roman Reigns. They could do that after SummerSlam. But it's a very WWE thing to do, to go in there and give the title to John Cena and leave the fans going like, what the hell? Now what are we going to do? To keep the record in their family at 17-time world champion and to just give the title back to Roman or whatever on the September 10th SmackDown in two weeks after, after SummerSlam. It's a very WWE thing to do. That's why I can't go farther than 60-40. And maybe I'll change my opinion uh, after SmackDown next week. Maybe. But I, I, it could happen. Something that I want to talk about that's not necessarily SummerSlam related. And again, I mean, this is the main event of SummerSlam. This is, this is the match at SummerSlam. Um, Finn Balor. Finn Balor has to beat John Cena. Has to. If Finn Balor does not beat John Cena, and I know you're sitting there going like, when is Finn Balor fighting John Cena? He's not. Finn Balor has to beat John Cena. Otherwise, what are we doing with a Finn Balor-Roman Reigns match? Finn Balor came out on SmackDown and was a rock star on every level. Coming out of NXT, his NXT run was, I mean, chef's kiss beautiful. SmackDown, he comes out. He's a rock star. He's the man. When he confronted Roman Reigns, it actually left me and I think other people going like, man, as much as this John Cena-Roman Reigns thing is a legendary thing and you get it, the marquee value, God, I want to see Roman Reigns versus Finn Balor at SummerSlam. I want to see this Finn Balor fight Roman Reigns. The old Finn Balor beat Roman Reigns. I want to see this. That contract signing was a disaster for Finn Balor. A disaster. He got thrown out of the ring. He was made to look less than. First, 
with John Cena. Roman was right. John Cena, and this is all character, obviously. We're talking in canon. But John Cena saying that, or, or Roman saying that clearly John thinks that you're less than he is and that I'm not afraid of you. And I don't think that's right, Finn. Number one, he's right. That is what John Cena was saying. And number two, the fact that Roman is pointing that out means that Roman is lying and being conniving and sarcastic. And he also thinks that Finn Balor is not the threat that John Cena is. So we've got Roman and John Cena, two of the biggest names in WWE history, going like, that's Finn Balor. Who cares? The contract signing happens. He gets thrown out of the ring by Corbin. Corbin comes out. Cena comes out, beats up Corbin. Cena signs the contract, and management is like, yeah, we're going to give Cena the match for sure. Cena couldn't care less about Roman Reigns. I mean, about Finn Balor. Cena is not afraid. Like, bro, if I had a contract for a WWE championship match and somebody just came and took my contract and signed it, I'd want to kick the crap out of him. I'd want to beat his ass. What are you doing taking my SummerSlam main event? I wouldn't be satiated going like, all right, we'll get the next one. Oh, don't worry. No, SummerSlam main event in a stadium? Cool. No, you grab that one. I'll get the next pay-per-view. What, what's the main event for Great Balls of Fire? I'll grab that one. You get SummerSlam. No. I'd want to kick his ass. And I want to kick Adam Pierce's ass, too, for being like, all right, no, no, no. John Cena signed it. John Cena gets the match. I'd go be on the warpath. Kicking everybody's ass. Sonya Deville would probably kick my head off. I wouldn't even try with her. But I'd still be furious. And then, yeah, Roman beats Baron Corbin. Everybody beats Baron Corbin right now, though. He's broke. He's got no money. What's he going to do, win matches? He can't even eat. He doesn't even have a can opener. He's broke as a joke. He can't even complain about it. I do like that he stole the money in the bank briefcase because if you add that with stealing the contract, like, he's so desperate. He's just a thief. It doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, I think you can probably do more with the Baron Corbin storyline, but it is funny that now that's his MO. He just steals stuff and thinks that that counts. Um, the next week on SmackDown, like, yeah, he beats Corbin and like he beats up the Usos or whatever, but not only does Roman choke him out, but Balor taps. He's shown tapping. And while, yeah, like Roman sneak attacked him and he, he, it wasn't an, a match or anything. He didn't lose to Roman. Still, the fact that he tapped means that if it had been a match, Roman Reigns would have won. And so, like, if if after SummerSlam, like, let's just say a scenario build, Roman beats John Cena and then comes out on SmackDown and Finn Balor is like, okay, my turn now. I don't believe him. I don't believe in him at all. However, if... And Finn Balor didn't get any revenge this week on SmackDown. So if it's me, I'm going like, look, I'll get to Roman Reigns. But I want to beat up John Cena. I think the only, here's how I would recover Finn Balor after all that. John Cena comes out on SmackDown. John Cena loses to Roman Reigns. Because if John Cena beats Roman Reigns at SummerSlam, the neg while in that moment, it would be like, oh my God, I didn't see that coming. We would also know that whoever John Cena faces next is definitely getting the title back. We know John Cena's not back for a long time. He's got to go do the Peacemaker show, I think. So, or he's got to go do something. He's in every movie. By the way, he was excellent in Suicide Squad. Excellent. Um, 
So I have John Cena lose. Roman Reigns keeps the title. That was, what's that, August 21st. So the next SmackDown would be August 27th. I would not, Finn Balor I wouldn't have on SmackDown after SummerSlam. I wouldn't have Finn Balor around until John Cena comes back. John Cena comes back September 10th. And he basically comes back to shake Roman's hand and say, you were the better man. And then go say his goodbye to the WWE. I'll be back. I don't know when. I don't know where. You see these abs come out with the jacket on. Here comes Finn Balor. And as John Cena is saying goodbye, Finn Balor comes out and he's like, I'm not ready for you to say goodbye yet. You took something that belonged to me. And before I take it back, I want a shot at you tonight. And we main event SmackDown from Madison Square Garden on September 10th with Finn Balor versus John Cena. And Finn Balor goes to Adam Pierce before that match. And he goes, Pierce, I don't want you to give me anything. I want to earn everything that I get here on SmackDown. Tonight, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to beat John Cena clean in the middle, one, two, three. And when I beat John Cena, I want my Roman Reigns match. And here's the way it goes down. Roman Reigns versus Cena. I mean, uh, uh, Finn Balor versus Cena. People are going to be losing their minds for it. But they're going to be a little worried. Roman Reigns obviously going to interfere, right? So halfway through the match, Roman and the Usos come out. And you're like, okay, here we go. Actually, it's not halfway through the match. It's like 9.56 at night. So it could end right here with a beat down to Finn Balor. And we're going to build that way. And like as a fan, honestly, if that happens, you're going, come on, bro. Like, this is the most predictable thing ever. So what? We go and it's like, well, this way you can. And all like the wrestling analysts. Well, this way you can go to the next pay-per-view and have Finn Balor have a problem with Roman Reigns, but John Cena is still protected. John Cena is protected from what? What on earth does John Cena need protection from? He's the greatest superstar of all time. So Roman and the Usos come out to interfere, but Kevin Owens and the Mysterios follow him and beat him up and don't let him get to the ring. So Roman and the Usos never get to interfere because Owens and the Mysterios uh, stopped him. Now the match continues on and Finn Balor beats John Cena clean, coup de grace, middle of the ring, one, two, three. That is how you leave the company for a period of time. When John Cena comes back, he can win to kind of rebuild his credibility. But if John Cena loses to Roman at SummerSlam and then shows up on SmackDown and out of nowhere, Finn Balor beats him clean, John Cena has left the WWE in a better place than when he showed up. And that's supposedly been the mission of John Cena from the beginning. If... They do the match and Finn Balor doesn't win clean, or if they don't do the match at all, then yes, Roman Reigns is made into a bigger superstar by beating John Cena, but only a little bit. He's already the biggest superstar there. And no opponent for Roman Reigns has been made bigger. 
Finn Balor can immediately be a main eventer and add so much credibility to a Finn Balor-Roman Reigns match. And then if Roman Reigns beats Finn Balor, it actually means something. If Finn Balor does not beat John Cena and Roman Reigns beats Finn Balor after SummerSlam, it means absolutely nothing for anybody. It means nothing for Roman Reigns. It means even less for Finn Balor. And John Cena's gone, so who cares? If Finn Balor beats John Cena on September 10th at Madison Square Garden, in a Madison Square Garden main event, it sends a message to the fans, even the smart ones. WWE is behind Finn Balor. And if the fans think that WWE is behind Finn Balor, then the fans will take a Finn Balor-Roman Reigns match seriously. That's how you get two to three matches out of Roman Reigns versus Finn Balor instead of one that nobody cares about. So my SummerSlam pick is Roman Reigns beating John Cena and then Finn Balor beating John Cena later on. Uh, let's go over the rest of this card. Um, the other main event to SummerSlam is, of course, Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg. I want Bobby Lashley to kill Goldberg. I mean, obviously not literally, but I want Bobby Lashley to just destroy Goldberg. That's I think we're at that phase in Goldberg's career. Like, let's get whatever we can get out of him. There's no reason for Goldberg to ever win another match. Enough has been done. He beat Kevin Owens. He beat The Fiend. Nobody was better for I mean... Like, I guess when he beat Kevin Owens, you ended up with a bigger match in Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg. But him beating The Fiend, it ended up being a disaster. Drew McIntyre got a victory over him. Good for Drew. I think Bobby Lashley getting a victory over him would be good. And maybe you bring him back one more time and let somebody else beat him. And that's the end of Goldberg. He's already in the Hall of Fame. I don't know how much more juice is in this berry. But I think Bobby Lashley just knocks the stuffing out of Bill Goldberg. Bobby Lashley is a believable, convincing, uh, uh, interesting, appealing champion. I love Bobby Lashley as champion. I didn't know I would love it so much. He's awesome. Bobby Lashley with MVP as a mouthpiece is exactly what WWE needs as champion. It's great. He should destroy Goldberg at SummerSlam. Women's Championship, Raw Women's Triple Threat, Charlotte versus Rhea Ripley versus Nikki Ash. Look, man, I think if you're going to do the Nikki Ash thing, do the Nikki Ash thing. Rhea Ripley, I don't want to put the title back on Charlotte because Charlotte keeps winning the title and losing it a week later. Like, I have no interest in putting the title back on Charlotte right now unless you're going to leave it on her. If Charlotte wins the title at SummerSlam and you are leaving it on her for a year, I'm cool with it. I wouldn't be surprised if Becky Lynch interferes. You know, I mean, you got to wonder, like, Charlotte could win this match and then Becky Lynch returns on Raw the next night. That could happen. But for me, I I, I need Charlotte to not win unless she's going to hold the title because I love Charlotte as champion and I'm so sick of her. I'm so sick of Charlotte losing. And so I don't want her to win because I don't want her to lose again if that makes any sense. And Rhea Ripley, I think WWE just needs to figure out where Rhea Ripley is. Like, I think the fans, if I, I, I hear from my friends that go to live events and from the uh, not Sam Shields that go to live events, people want to cheer Rhea Ripley. But it's like back and forth on whether she's a good guy or a bad guy or what you're going to do with her, really. I think the thing with Nikki Ash is if you're going to do the gimmick, you got to do the gimmick. And 
I, I think the jury is out still on whether it's working or not. I think on TV it has worked every week. I like it. I like the Nikki Ash thing. I like the superhero thing. I think it's cool. Uh, there are some reports about it not being as cool at different live events. I think it'll, I think it'll be really telling uh, at the stadium, you know? I think they should not pipe in crowd noise. Let the fans react how the fans are going to react. And let's see. Let's see how people react to a big, spectacular entrance for Nikki Ash. I'm really happy for Nikki that she's getting a giant SummerSlam match. Such a cool opportunity for her. Uh, I want her to win because I want to give this gimmick every opportunity it can to succeed. Because it's one of those weird ones that either flops or is a huge success. And I'd like to see it be a huge success. So I'd like to see them commit to her winning this match. And I think it'd be a real feel-good moment. Uh, they announced uh, last week, Usos versus uh, Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio. I've been waiting for it for a long time. I think this is the match where uh, Rey gets pinned, Dominic gets fed up, and Dominic turns on Rey. I mean, we've got to get there at some point. I think Dominic's got to be a single star at some point, and uh, I think a, a Rey versus Dominic rivalry is what we need. You know, I want to see Dominic turn on Rey. I've been wanting it for months. Uh, and, and and SummerSlam is as good a shot as any. If we're going to do this match again, let's leave the tag team championship on the Usos and let's have Dominic turn on Ray at the end of the thing. Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair. I don't see Bianca losing. I see this being another good match. Well, let's see. Okay. The Usos are bad guys. I got them winning. Bobby Lashley is technically a bad guy, I guess. I got them. Yeah, yeah. So I need another good guy winning. So I got Bianca Belair beating Sasha Banks. Um... Edge versus Seth Rollins. I think this is going to be a classic. I think this is going to be lead to more classics. I think with everything else on this card and everything else going on, I think that this match should have been built better, especially with the fact that you had more time to build this match than anything else because you started building this match at the end. I mean, technically before the last pay-per-view, but at the end of the last pay-per-view, it ended so great with Seth Rollins versus Edge. I still feel like you haven't really gotten to the meat on the bone of this thing in terms of the buildup for it. And maybe that's because there's going to be multiple Edge versus Seth Rollins matches. Um, this should be a classic. Edge can't lose all the time. You know, Edge lost to Roman. He lost in the triple threat match at WrestleMania. But Seth can't lose all the time either. You know, um, I feel like this is the next pay-per-view, I believe, is Extreme Rules. So, you know, maybe Seth wins this one and then gets a stip match against Edge at Extreme Rules that Edge can win. I guess I have Seth winning because I want him to be a bigger deal going into the next match with Edge, but I'm really tired of seeing Edge lose. Yeah, I think Seth wins this one. He is Mr. SummerSlam after all. And then Ed, although Edge is a pretty pretty notable SummerSlam competitor too. And then Edge goes on to win the rematch is probably how I have it. Uh, Sheamus versus Damian Priest. I definitely have this as Damian Priest crowning moment. Uh, first of all, he should be blessed to never have to speak to John Morrison or The Miz ever again. Not that I think that John Morrison and The Miz aren't great. But, I mean, he's literally been interacting with them since January. It's been eight months. 
Like, enough with John Morrison versus Damian Priest. Damian Priest is definitely better than John Morrison. We know it. He's beaten him enough times. We're done with it. I've been a fan of Damian Priest for a long time. I talked him up when he was in NXT. I loved him as Punishment Martinez in Ring of Honor. I'm a Damian Priest fan. It's cemented. Okay? That's... I. I I get behind Damian. I got behind Damian Priest in NXT the way I now get behind uh, Santos Escobar in NXT. These guys are the future. I love Damian Priest, uh, and and SummerSlam should be the beginning of Damian Priest's main roster legacy. Damian Priest should be the next big SummerSlam competitor. That is 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 what I would like to see for Damian Priest to become the next big SummerSlam competitor and beat Sheamus and get his crowning moment and become the United States champion. And then uh, Drew McIntyre versus Jinder Mahal with Veer and Shanky at his side. Of course, uh, the sword, I guess. So Drew McIntyre destroyed Jinder's motorcycle and then they sold Mattel motorcycles. And then Jinder destroyed the sword, but it was a replica sword because you don't bring the real sword to the ring. But I think they started bringing the real sword to the ring after that because Jinder destroyed the replica. So now Drew's got a real sword. I don't think he's going to have to stab Jinder Mahal in the heart. Um, You know, I kind of like, as much as it's silly to have a rivalry over a sword, I like that this rivalry is not about their past. I think a lot has been made of Drew McIntyre's past, and it becomes very hard to move forward if you are so focused on your past. So I I like that they're not focusing this entire thing on the history of three-man bands. Because, I mean, we've done a lot of history with Drew. Um, I think this is a perfect spot. I think good for Jinder, who is so underrated. Jinder is one of the best bad guys, the best true heels in WWE. Jinder is so good and so underrated. The crowd reacts to him, man. As much as you want to poo-poo him, the crowd boos when he does heel stuff. The Jinder and Drew segments have had a real organic crowd response every single time that has been the desired response. Jinder is making Drew seem like even more of a good guy and he's getting real heel heat. I think Jinder is great. I think people don't realize how good Jinder Mahal is. It helps that he's big. It helps that he's built like an Adonis. He's cut to shreds. But realistically, just as a performer, he is excellent. Excellent. I think this is going to be a sleeper of a match. I think it's going to be great. Obviously, Drew McIntyre wins. But this is exactly where Drew McIntyre should be. I think that he's got to rebuild in terms of uh, getting the audience's confidence back in him. And I think that this is the way to do it. I think he should be removed from the title scene for a while. I think that uh, Drew beats Jinder. After this, Drew moves on to somebody else. I wouldn't mind if Drew got drafted over to uh, SmackDown. you got to imagine the draft is happening after Extreme Rules, right? That's generally when it happens. So uh, I wouldn't mind if Drew... It could be perfect to have maybe Drew, you know, I don't know if he wants to mess around with Sheamus again. Who from Raw could Drew mess around with after SmackDown? Because all you need is a month, right? I mean, you could do more with Jinder, but I feel like we'll have a pretty good idea 
that Drew is the better... Com you know who could be interesting? We could see some Drew McIntyre versus Karrion Cross stuff. If Karrion Cross is going to stick around on Raw, we could spend a month messing around with Drew McIntyre and Karrion Cross um, on the way to Extreme Rules. Maybe do Drew versus Karrion Cross at Extreme Rules. Unless you want to turn Keith Lee heel. And I think you definitely should turn Keith Lee heel and do Drew McIntyre versus Keith Lee at Extreme Rules. And then after Extreme Rules, have Drew McIntyre go over to SmackDown. You do two pay-per-views. You do Extreme Rules of Finn Balor versus Roman Reigns. You draft Drew McIntyre over to SmackDown. And you start building towards, maybe you do Finn Balor versus Roman in a return in October. And then start build to building towards Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns to end the year out. Uh, could be strong. But yeah, definitely Drew McIntyre winning at SummerSlam. So not only do you have SummerSlam, uh, but you also have TakeOver 36. TakeOver 36, That's I'll be in Orlando, uh, so I won't be able to be at SummerSlam Live, but I will be able to be at TakeOver 36 Live, which is pretty special because not too many people get to get into the Capitol Wrestling Center and watch these shows. And, I mean, this one, this one's going to be amazing. This is on paper. Like, if this were happening in an arena, it would be one of the all-time takeovers. There is not one meh. Not even a meh match. Every match is awesome on this show. The LA Knight Cameron Grimes stuff has just been so much fun. And it's such old school wrestling. It's so, it is exactly what the Capitol Wrestling Center should have. Old school with a modern twist on it. It's just a celebration of fun professional wrestling. LA Knight versus Cameron Grimes. Million dollar championship on the line. So if Cameron Grimes wins, he becomes the million dollar champion. If LA Knight wins, then Cameron Grimes is no longer, either way, Cameron Grimes is no longer LA Knight's butler, I think. If Cameron Grimes wins, he's not LA Knight's butler because he's the million dollar champion. If Cameron Grimes loses, he's no longer LA Knight's bodyguard because Ted DiBiase is going to be LA Knight's bodyguard, uh, 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 not bodyguard, butler. I love it. I love the stip. I love the story. Also, the two are going to have an, a the ladder match that those guys had was out of this world. So I think sometimes people forget that because the segments with those two have been so entertaining that, like, they forget how amazing the match is going to be. But the match is going to be tremendous. Um, yeah, so, so that's going to be great. Then you've got uh, Raquel Gonzalez defending the championship against Dakota Kai. Great story going into this one. Dakota Kai is a new, fresh challenger that's been built up. It's Raquel Gonzalez being a, a, a babyface, a pure babyface champion, in my opinion, for the first time. They've been flirting with her as a babyface for a long time. But I feel like it's the first time that she's a, a, a true fan favorite going in against a true villain in Dakota Kai. And honestly, I feel like this, more so than any other women's championship match, people are looking at as a possibility of Raquel Gonzalez losing the title. I think that uh, Dakota Kai is a bad guy, is a strong NXT Women's Champion. I think Raquel Gonzalez, uh, I could see her going up to the main roster, or I could just see her losing. But honestly, I would love to see, I don't know if it'll happen, I would love to see Dakota Kai winning the Women's Championship here. Uh, you've got two out of three falls, Kyle O'Reilly versus Adam Cole. Singles match, fall two is a street fight, fall three if necessary is the steel cage match. Honestly, I, 
I feel like this match is going to go on last. And if it goes on last, I think the only way to do it is to, uh, is to have Kyle O'Reilly win. But I want Adam Cole to win, man. God bless Kyle O'Reilly. I would, my preference would be for Adam Cole to win two straight falls. God bless Kyle O'Reilly. But I want Adam Cole to win in two straight falls. I want him to prove he's a better wrestler, and then I want him to, to beat the stuffing out of Kyle O'Reilly in a street fight. Adam Cole is just as big a star as you're potentially going to have in WWE. And it'll also be very telling, you know. All the internet rumors have said that Adam Cole's contract is up. This is not part of the storyline, of course, but as, uh, you know, educated fans, I would say, were watching um, knowing that. So if Adam Cole is sticking around, having him win dominantly would be great. If Adam Cole is not sticking around, Kyle O'Reilly winning. I would imagine this will go to three falls and Adam Cole will win. But I'd like to see it only do two falls and have Adam Cole win. But I think Adam Cole should win this match. I mean, Kyle O'Reilly has come out on top before. I'd, I'd like to see Adam Cole win. Um, then you've got your two, champ your two men's championship. Well, I guess the technically the million-dollar championship. But the NXT UK championship is Ilya Dragunov versus Walter. I talked about this a little bit on the uh, Patreon podcast on Friday. Um, Ilya Dragunov losing to Pete Dunne even with the Walter distraction, because he didn't lose because of the Walter distraction. He actually kicked out at the Walter distraction and then lost anyway. Um, now, I don't know if he kicked out of a fall, but he, he, he avoided the Walter distraction, but then still lost. Um, I hated that. I get that they're trying to build Pete Dunne, but I, I didn't like that at all, unless the idea is that Ilya Dragunov is going to beat Walter and then go on uh, to face Pete Dunne. The way I would do it, I would have Ilya Dragunov win the championship here, beat Walter, allow that to build Ilya's credibility, and then move Walter right to the main roster. I'm ready for it. And have Ilya Dragunov defend the title against Pete Dunne next. I'd love to see it, but, man, I don't know if they're going to beat Walter. I really don't know if they're going to beat Walter. And then, of course, the NXT championship match, Karrion Cross versus Samoa Joe. You know, as much as I think it'd be weird to have Samoa Joe as the NXT champion right now, I don't know how much he'll be defending it. If Karrion Cross is going to be on Raw, I don't want the NXT championship on him. I think it confuses things. I feel like the NXT storylines don't carry over with Raw and vice versa. Um, so I would put the NXT... I, I guess I have... What do I have? Every title changing hands? Yeah. Maybe Walter keeps his title so that Samoa Joe can win the championship. Unless this is really going to be like a, a a last stand, unless NXT really does change as an organization after this takeover, in which case it would make sense for all the titles to change hands. I'd love to see. I, I think Samoa Joe should beat Karrion Cross, and just if Karrion Cross is going to be on Raw, put Karrion Cross on Raw. That's the way I'd swing it. That's the way I do it. You can let me know uh, how you do it. Not Sam Wrestling at gmail.com is my email address. You can also join us on Patreon uh, for ad-free uh, Not Sam Wrestling shows as well as a bonus podcast every single week, videos, Zooms, the whole deal. Patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. And if you don't go there, then I'll see you instead. First on Peacock, don't forget, the entire first season of Not Sam Wrestling, the TV show, is now available. If you just search Not Sam on Peacock, you can find all the episodes. They're all up, all the interviews, all the segments, all the everything. I love that show. 
Uh, but you'll also be able to catch me on the NXT TakeOver 36 pre-show on Peacock on Sunday, and then presumably on Saturday, Ultimate SummerSlam, which will be up on Peacock. Appreciate all you guys. Talk to you soon. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling.